you're listening to Movies for Decades. Welcome to Movies for Decades, a podcast where we watch some movies in some decades. Uh, this <laughs> I'm gonna start again. <laughs> All right, uh, welcome to I movies. I had no problem. With that, <laughs> it was uh, the truth about us. All right, welcome to movies for decades. Um, we watch movies. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to movies for decades, a film history podcast. We watch um, one movie per decade, starting in this season, 1922, ending in 2022. Uh, today's episode is 1972's Aguirre, The Wrath of God by Werner Herzog. I'm John Alby. I'm Colin Alby. Agira, I think. It sounds like a Godzilla yeah, it's, monster. It's, it's, it's like Agira, not to be confused with Akira. It seems to be at least how it's pronounced in the clenched audio dubbing of this movie. Yeah. Isn't there an Agira Godzilla movie, though? No. Or like, what do they call Gigan, or eh, sorry. No. What's your name, Helen? My name's Helen. No, the the lobster has a different name. Abira. Abira. That's what I'm thinking of. Okay. Yes. Abira, <laughs> the sea monster. Yes. Agira, the the sea monster, sorry. and Abira, the wrath of God. Yes. Let's get our okay. let's get our very related. What did movie. I say? Did I? What did I say? Agira. What did I say? Aguir. I don't know. What did you say? I don't know. I, you I do know that. To talk like, about how it's pronounced as soon as I was done talking. So now I'm like, what did I just say? <laughs> <laughs> I will say, like watching this. You know, obviously, I knew this movie's reputation before I saw it, or knew something that it's a famous movie. And of course, looking, I'm like, I want to see that movie, but I'm afraid to say the name of it because I have no clue. Mm-hmm. But. The name that they say in the movie is Agira. Mm-hmm. Agira. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, it is made by a one uh, directed, written, produced, and directed by a one Werner Herzog. Herzog. How how are we pronouncing yeah, I Herzog? Think Herzog. It's Herzog. funny to say. We could say Werner Herzog. Werner, yeah. That would be the you know pretentious way to say it. But. We'll say Werner Herzog. Sure. And uh, this is. I think his first, I don't, it's not his first movie, but it's his first very famous movie, and it is a very influential movie, and I would say a very good movie. Yeah. What I y'all liked think? it. I have three notes. This was my choice for a movie this week. Um, you saw it first among us, I believe. I haven't seen it. Oh, you hadn't I've never seen, seen it? it? I've oh. seen a lot of Werner Herzog. Okay. But I have never seen this one. Yeah, and this was my second viewing of it, actually. Yeah, I've seen so many that this was kind of like, it was kind of crazy that I hadn't seen this one. But um, there's like three things about Werner Herzog's movies that uh, I think are definitely present in this movie that I really liked. And one is that the momentum of the movie, of the story, is very different than you'll find in almost any other movie, mm-hmm. um, any other filmmaker. It's just kind of... Things happen very gradually and crazy things happen, but with little fanfare. And I've always found it's like, you know, an American movie is just like, bing, bang, boom. And look at all these exciting things happening. I mean, even a non-American movie. Yeah, a non-American movie will be a little bit more like, and now a death. And and in this movie especially, like, and now somebody else dies. And it's kind of like they don't focus on it in this way. And um, 
And yet it is all about this sort of death and misery. And it's kind of, it's just very interesting. You just, it's hard to find movies that move like this. It feels real. And it also feels like fantasy in other ways. And uh, the other thing, another thing is that it's, um, it's not exactly clear if it has much of a message, although it's not subtle either. Some movies are very subtle and you're not sure what you're supposed to take from it. And I'm not mm. supposed to sure what I'm supposed to take from a lot of his movies, but I wouldn't call them subtle at all. That's interesting. So you, they're not they're not obvious what their message are, but they're not subtle. Yeah. And that they're very have lots of symbolism in them. Yeah. Lots of big emotions. But and you can ideas. also take them very literally. Yeah. They're very emotional. Know? They're very um impressionistic, you know. They're very um they, hmm. yeah, they definitely make you feel clear things. And and I think it's easy to understand what you're supposed to be feeling in a moment, and yet you don't come away with it like and that's how we're supposed to feel about colonialism or something like that. You yeah. don't exactly come away from it with these like with this moral or anything like that. It's and I always kind of liked that about his movies is that they don't exactly beat you over the head with something, but I don't like a movie that's a little too mysterious, you know, and mm-hmm. that that's graded on me more and more mm-hmm. as I've gotten older. Thing 3 about Werner Herzog is that these movies that he makes are marvels to look at. I mean, the footage he gets of just things naturally happening of actors doing stuff like in amazing places and he's blowing up stuff in the amazon (laughs) he is finding incredible footage of like monkeys and um a a mouse yeah and her babies babies and like wow like what is it's crazy that you have this footage and that it's just yeah these are those are kind of my big three like takeaways from a lot of his movies is just like how did he get that footage and like and it just moves in a in a way that you, that's so fresh to me about lots of movies yeah yeah it really struck me how much of a documentary this movie felt like yeah because yeah. i have been watching documentaries made by him uh in preparation for this just to get a feel for him because he has you know what 60 movies you could spend a year doing his filmography so i've been watching his documentaries and i was like super cool i'm gonna get to watch one of his fictional movies and see how different it is and i was like oh wait no this feels exactly like one of his docs in every way pretty much um down to the narration uh it's i think he really wanted to capture like what if there was a camera with them what if the conquistadors had a home video kind of deal kind of energy and like the documentation of the priest was sort of the camera, the yeah. eye in this story in a really cool way. And yeah, I love that about Herzog, how organic and holistic his style is. Well, his whole like w- the quote from him is that he's a big believer in the voodoo of the space. Mm. Like he, that's one of his big things is he really like I think I think where I read that quote is actually from um I think where he said that quote is when he's talking about his remake of the film Nosferatu, where, which, you know, we covered earlier is so Herzog remade Nosferatu and he filmed in as many of the original locations as he could, because as he said, he believed in utilizing the voodoo of the actual space, but that's also his philosophy of making movies in general. Is he wants the voodoo of the of the real location? So therefore, he's actually filming on 
this movie is, I guess, set on the Amazon River and tributaries, and it's filmed on tributaries of the Amazon River. Mm-hmm. Really, like, inhospitable conditions. He does that again in Fitzgeraldo. You know, I mean, this is what this guy, you know, he... You know, he does it for real. Like he was, he was puzzled by the Star Wars picture he was in, <laughs> and why they did not film in outer space as I might have done. You know, <laughs> yeah, he's he makes extreme movies. He's like uh, an extremist in a way. <laughs> like he, but he resists that when he's asked about it. Really, like, I'm not an extreme man. I'm a normal person. Like, and but he's, he just makes these extreme yeah. movies and goes to these insane lengths. Like, yeah. you know. He just wants to capture the human spirit, and he thinks the best way to do that is in these raw conditions. Is to break people's yeah. spirit. <laughs> you know, watching this movie for the second time and that opening, that really marvelous opening shots of this movie. Yeah, you know, with all those people coming down the mountain. Yeah, this and and like you know that you know people snaking up them down and up the mountain. You know, fantastic shot. And one one of the thoughts that popped in my head is you know. There's a lot in common that, you know, setting out to make a movie, you know, has a lot in common with being a conquistador. Yeah. <laughs> actually. Because, you know, you're and, and some of this comes from I've been on a lot of sets that were out in the woods. Yeah. Where you are hauling a bunch of people who kind of don't belong and you're hauling a bunch of stuff that kind of doesn't belong. Yeah. And you are attempting to forge a piece of fantasy yeah. that does not belong. And no one really stops to ask whether or not this is insane. <laughs> yeah. And that is what that is what the that is what this movie's kind of about. Mm-hmm. Is about people who are doing a completely insane thing. And no one really stops to even ask if this is I mean like Agira is insane. Mm-hmm. He does he he leads people to greater and greater insanity and ruin but partly why he gets there is no one asks whether this whole thing is insane to begin with Mm -hmm. but is it insane because i mean well i mean the new world kind of got conquered by europeans so like who is it really insane in the end yeah you know yeah. So it's and it's, films get made and films yeah. get made. Yeah. <laughs> the film so, industry is huge. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that's almost like I. I don't really. I'm not trying to make a take here exactly, but yeah, I it's almost just weird. I like, feel like almost like there's a bizarre thing where, like, obviously, like the conquistador thing is pretty scummy, but there's a weird sense of like he kind of understands the the, you know, he he is clearly fascinated by. The thing that actually happened in the past of people going out and doing pure insanity. Yeah. You know, walking which is, through the jungle in suits of armor with horses and cannons. Literally trying to find El Dorado, which was not a real place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And they had faith through like the whole movie in this crazy way. Like they really referenced it. And it's funny that they never covered it. In the movie, they never lost belief in El Dorado, this, the characters of the film. Yeah. They really did believe up until their death that they were just failing to find it, you know, mm-hmm. which is... And pe- that continued for years and years and years. Like, I read the book The Lost City of Z about um, Henry Fossey, I think his name was, but an English explorer 
in you know much much later still going to the amazon getting funding like you would do for a movie um begging, <laughs> somehow yeah, scrounging spending, together yeah, scrounging a crew and funding over and over and going into the amazon over and over just sure that this city exists somewhere mm-hmm. and it's just some kind of strange fascination um that i don't know what i guess they got really spoiled by finding um some gold early on some gold in mexico initially yeah. And it just drove them crazy. It just be gold all over them. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. So one thing is you can go down some interesting Wikipedia rabbit holes by, oh, yeah. by like by just this movie. I just started I started doing that. So do you click there's an Agira, the real the, the the titular character is a real person. Yeah. And like what's interesting also is that like apparently the inspiration of this movie, uh Herzog did about as much research as clicking on some Wikipedia links. <laughs> like, uh, like uh, uh, I don't know if you got to this part of the uh, where. So he is reading sort of a book about adventurers mm-hmm. from the past. And he reads, well, apparently, I guess it wasn't that it was not. It was light reading because there was a half page devoted to this guy, Agira. Yeah. And he was like, wow, that's cool. And then he's in like in a fever. He wrote the screenplay in two and a half days, <laughs> despite losing some of his uh manuscript wow do you know how he lost his manuscript how because apparently um he played soccer with he he was on a traveling soccer team in germany of course and um and they're on a bus ride and they're and the whole team is trashed while he's on his typewriter in the bus (laughs) (laughs) and and one of his one of his teammate bros vomited on (laughs) on his typewriter (laughs) wow and and like and he was like like on the pages and he had no choice but to throw them out the window. Wow. Also, Germans, I thought you guys didn't like you could hold whatever amount of alcohol you consume, <laughs> not. So, and so, but according to Herzog, he's like, I don't remember what I wrote on those pages I threw out. No. So some so some some so some editing early on in the process. <laughs> yeah. Um. So he writes this this screenplay that just basically and that uh based on the fairly crazy true story of this guy Agira who was apparently psychotic and led mm. and was on an expedition. I think one bit, bit of context is they kind of sent people out to find El Dorado when they wanted to keep people busy who might be wanting to rebel anyway. Yeah, mm. that makes sense. So that's kind of what the point of the real life expedition is like, go find El Dorado. It's there somewhere. Yeah. And <laughs> you look like you need to be on the other side of this ocean. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's kind of what was going on there. But then like... uh but then, sure enough, he, you know, and the, the Guzman and some of the actual character names in this movie were real people who Agira deposed. Yeah. Over the course of his expedition before being rounded up. And um, and he actually had his daughter with him and he, he had her killed rather than like, I do not want you to be bedded by these animals. And then, and Agira, the real Agira got captured and, and uh, cut into a four pieces you know, dismembered, dismembered is what i read Good grief. yeah but he made it all the way to the pacific ocean <laughs> yeah, with I'm... a whole army of 300 people and was like gonna rebel and take over mm-hmm. and so technically more successful than the fictional version yes <laughs> um so what do you and make it was all in venezuela too which yeah is mostly well peru and venezuela and this yeah. movie's mostly filmed in peru is that right i think so yeah. yeah there's parts of the amazon jungle that are in the very like far 
mm-hmm. eastern part of Peru. But yeah. So what do you make of in the movie how he seemed kind of uninterested in a certain type of power? Like he he assigned an emperor to his little um to his party. Like yeah. he didn't want to be emperor, but he definitely wanted control and he wanted power. So what I get out of that is is because it is interesting. Yeah. What I get out of that is that basically it's part of the bigger theme of how they're they are keeping this fairly ludicrous caste system from Spain in place. Yeah. Like like Guzman is a higher the Guzman guy is a higher noble than Agira. I see. That's what I take out of it. So therefore, like that's part of Agira's whole power plays. He's like, aha, the next in line nobleman is declared emperor. And so that's part of his power plays to is to put it on with as much sort of European style uh hierarchy as possible, which is of course fairly insane. When you're when you're literally huddled on this beach on the river, yeah, <laughs> you know, in this miserable beach, but here it is, like Agira. We made you a throne. Is, is like, but it's all like totally fake. He's and plus he's like, I am going by the rules, but I'm, but he's calling the shots. Yeah, and so like, I that's what I take out of it. Calling the but shots course, with his gigantic blue eyes and his weird glower. But, <laughs> yeah, but as soon as as soon as the like uh the 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 old country hierarchy isn't working for him, then he has no problem with disposing of. But he didn't dispose of him. The servants did because yeah, he was true. an obnoxious, uh, mm-hmm. you know, princely man who was eating all the food. And so they just gradually poisoned him with river water. Yeah, I feel like that's a little bit like vague, but it's definitely there's like, I don't think that happens unless gear is okay with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, almost nothing happens unless a little is la, okay la, with la, it. La, 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 la guy. He's the guy. He was the real inside man, the real person giving Agira all the intel. <laughs> yeah, there's such like wonderful touches like that where there's a guy who's always la 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 la. <laughs> you know, it's it's got so much character, this movie. That's what I. And the audio takes some getting used to. Yeah. Yeah, Explain, what is the deal with the audio? I thought it was just dubbed from German when I first started watching it, but then I was watching their lips and I'm like, no, they're speaking English. So this is a movie that has um, actors, a fairly international cast, Mm -hmm. and the only language that they all spoke was English. So that's partly why they chose to film it in English. They also thought it would be easier to like release internationally mm-hmm. if it was all in english mm-hmm. um but the audio in that they managed to record in the jungle was absolute trash mm-hmm. which they couldn't use so they decided to uh redub it all both in english and in german i sort of wonder if the german version sounds a little better because like the, yeah. this english this version which is kind of the version to watch is definitely the audio sounds a little janky here and yeah, there some of it, it was does. really awkward like um, like straight up bad movie bad indie movie I, I got used to it as the movie progressed yeah but, um, it helps that the movie's kind of dreamlike anyway yeah it yeah. helps but like definitely some of the dubbing actors are just kind of bad yeah especially the ones with the most american of accents yeah apparently klaus kinski did not dub his own voice oh. because because uh, he was, he asked for too much money, and yeah. like, Herzog was like, "I've dealt with you enough for this movie, so therefore, 
I'm having someone else dub your voice. Klaus yeah. Kinski, Kinski being the Agira. Yeah. I, I, I'm seeing I'm saying that different every time. Agira. Yeah. Um Agira. and uh I've seen three of the four movies, I guess. Is it four movies that I think it's Werner five. Heard? Uh, well, I've but seen, I'm not positive. Seen I've, three I've seen of the same now. three. Yeah, I've yeah. seen um Nosferatu and Fitz Caraldo and now this. And he's great in all of them. He's it's such an unbelievably magnetic performance yeah. yeah it is and and then the story behind it is also insane but i mean you can see why herzog put up with as much as he put up with because it's just an unbelievable performance because yeah. klaus kinski was well known just hard to work with it just to put it mildly yeah just a, and i saw a documentary i think it was called my best fiend um all about him and uh werner herzog's relationship with him and yeah he would just you know, run around the set screaming at people and making everybody's life miserable. Yeah. And um, is it time to tell the story, Colin? Uh, let's just rattle through some things. Uh, Kinski anecdotes from this movie. So, like, you, do you hear the NPR interview where he was cast? No. So okay. So oh wait, wait. Yes, I do. Wait, is yeah. this the part where he's like he sent him the script and he's like he called me at three in the morning and well, just like, was... I received a phone call yeah. at three in the morning. And it took me an hour before I realized the inarticulate screaming was, was Klaus. He's like, I thought I better stay on the phone. And I'm like, who answers the phone and hears just screaming and thinks, I better stay on the phone? And uh, it occurred only to me, Herzog. And I soon realized that this inarticulate screaming was Klaus and that he was very interested in playing this part. <laughs> so strong reaction. Uh-huh. Um, he knew this guy because apparently this guy lived in his house that he was like lived in as a young man. Like Klaus Kinsey rented a room in this house, and he was acted like a, a, an atro- an, an atrocity of a roommate. Yeah. yeah, and was also, I'm sure, a magnetic personality. He's like, I will make films with this man, yeah. and um, <laughs> and then well, some. Yeah, I just I feel like Herzog is the only person on earth that could really handle this guy. Yeah, like he's the only one with an ego to match. The um, ego to match, and also just I think this guy. I mean. Probably a lot of it is also just Klaus Kinski just wanted, you know, was accustomed to walking over people. And there's you one can't. guy he couldn't walk over. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I think, yeah, that's like dealing with a psychopath because apparently he was a diagnosed psychopath. Yeah. Um, I mean, so okay. like he went to a mental institution and got psychopathy as his diagnosis, Klaus Kinski. Like, it's a very rare thing that people argue whether or not it exists. But here's a person who apparently by doctors was told that he is that crazy. Um, and yeah, and it just seems like the way to deal with it is just to be calmly unfazed by it. Because Herzog told story after story of, yes, he was he was screaming and I was waiting for him to get done screaming so I could tell him, you know, and it was just Well, like... what it was is also they disagreed on how the part should be played. So apparently how Klaus Kinski preferred to play the, the crazy Agira is as a ranting, raving, screaming lunatic. In yeah. other words, Kinski wanted to play himself. <laughs> you know, he, he identified with Agira, I guess. Yeah. So he wanted to play this crazy person. And, and then, but Herzog was adamant that this quiet kind of, you know, simmering menace was the right way thing for this yeah. character. And I guess he won. Well, what, and how he, he, he won. He tired him out. Is, is he would apparently rile him up. He would like insult him or something, or they or 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 he would he would let Kinski rant and rave until he was tired. Mm. 
And then he would go like, are you ready to do it now? He'd be like, you're fine. <laughs> and that is the performance that so, he's So yeah, captured. he would just antagonize him till he was too tired to or scream Or just let anymore. him tire himself out when he antagonized himself. Yeah. Yeah. Werner Herzog must have been a good parent. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just let himself wear himself out. And then they would roll the camera. He'd be like, fine. Yeah. And then like, um, but at one point, like he, Kinski thought that one of the... Sound men, there was of course sound men, even though they didn't use it, smirked whether he did or not, but smirked after a bad take where Kinski lot forgot his lines. Yeah, and and Kinski demanded that he be fired on the spot. And of course, Herzog is like, dude, there are eight people on this crew <laughs> in the jungle, and they're all working hard. I'm not firing any of them, yeah, sir. And and like and Kinski's like, well then I will leave if you do not fire him now. And so he leaves, and that is of course the famous story mm-hmm. where where he's Kinski is getting on a boat, he is leaving, and he's quitting the movie. And the whole movie's over if he's and the whole gone. movie's over if he's he quits. The star. And they're yeah. already deep in this thing. They film this thing in chronological order, mm. which is cool because that also explains how shitty their clothes get as the yeah. course of the movie gets on. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like the helmets get rustier, literally, and they get yeah. tireder and tireder. And it's looking. like, yeah, that really comes across. But anyway, so they and so and so and and this is like. This is, of course, Herzog's life working this. And he says, like, if you leave, then I will shoot you. Yeah, around the next river. Around, if uh, you go around the next bend, I will shoot you. I will there be are waiting bullet- with the gun. I, there, there, are, there are three bullets in this gun. Two will be for you, and the last one will be for me if you go around this river. <laughs> and, and Kinski, go, you know, blusters and then is like, and, yeah, and, and, he, like and, and comes back. Herzog, and I, intimidated a sociopath into submission. And yeah. you have to... <laughs> to listen to this Terry Gross interview with Herzog, where Terry Gross, of course, he tells this story, and Terry Gross is like appalled, yeah, and is like, "Do you think you actually would have shot him?" And he's and he and and like and and you get several long ums out of Herzog, ums, uh, well, yes, I believe I I believe in that moment I I was being truthful. Yeah. <laughs> It's like the film meant everything to me in that moment. Yeah, I mean, he was, but in Herzog's defense, um, he didn't. I don't think Herzog had a gun. The person on set who did have a gun was Klaus Kinski. And before this instant incident, Klaus Kinski had fired said gun. And hit someone. Oh my god! <laughs> so he had it coming with this threat. <laughs> Apparently, oh like while they were while they were in between shots, setups. They and of course it's raining. There were some people in the crew are playing card, and the and some of the extras and cast are playing cards in the in in under a tent. And Kinski thought that they were being loud and obnoxious because they were probably having fun playing cards, mm-hmm. and and therefore. Kinski decided to fire his gun <laughs> into the tent. Oh my, oh my god. god. <laughs> and shot off one of like shot off a finger. Oh no. On one of the extras. Oh, oh my, my god. god. This man was a crazy person. Actual yeah. monster. I yeah. mean, yeah, horrible. Like look it up on your own time, but he was apparently, to put it mildly, a terrifying tyrant to his children as well. Mm-hmm. Um yes. yeah, he was an awful person. Awful. We're not here to like Stand for Kinskin. Yeah, we do not. Except for what an absolutely magnetic performance he gives. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, 
Sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> what else are you gonna? I what mean, else are you supposed yeah, to do? Yeah, a Kinsky lot of fought his, for it, so we might as well enjoy it. All, you know, all of yeah, Herzog chose him for his for his craziness and what that brought to the screen. And it seems like he protected everybody from him as best he could. You sometimes have to threaten to shoot him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can just sort of feel the pain of the production mm-hmm. in the footage of the movie. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, we were watching it just a little bit ago. And, like, just the opening scenes where they're, like, dragging through themselves through the swamp. And I literally said, like, this sucks. Yeah. Like, yeah. And not the movie, but just the experience of seeing these people like... Like drag a cannon through the mud. D- dragging a cannon through the mud. They're knee deep in sludge. They hate their <laughs> lives. And I hate their lives for them. Yeah. Like, again, you really feel it. Like a Herzog film, you really feel in this way. And yeah. Um, yeah. It really puts you there every time. Yeah. Um, and I just... Yeah, and I was afraid to find out that Herzog was a tyrant, one of those. But it seems like he really cares about his crew, and he really doesn't want anybody to actually suffer. And he's down in the trenches suffering right beside them. Like, he apparently lost weight in solidarity. I mean, this is a fairly groundbreaking independent film. Yeah. Like, what they were doing is something that wasn't attempted very often in cinema history. And I think there's a degree of where Herzog was pushing the limits, you know, and he, and I think he's, he maybe pushed the limits too far, especially with Fitzcarraldo. Yeah, that was the one. uh, And I think has dialed it back. Yeah, I think that taught him some things. I think he's capable of learning from mistakes and admitting when he went too far, um, which is better than some of these egotistical filmmakers. And yet he still makes incredible, extreme, intense movies. But yeah, some of the interviews I listened to, I also listened to a bunch of Terry Gross. She's interviewed him like three or four times. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and He's she was like... He's a compelling voice to listen to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He was like, so you went to Antarctica. That was really extreme, right? He was like, no, Antarctica is easy. It's a very pleasant place to shoot a film. It's like compared to the jungle, it's quite nice in Antarctica. It's very tame. Like he was just not, he was like, every time she'd be like, so this is extreme. So this was really intense. And he would be like, no, it was actually fine. No, it wasn't that bad. Like one time he was a prisoner. He was a actual prisoner in Africa shooting something because he's made, again, 60 movies. And there was one where he got, someone on his crew got mistaken for somebody who some warlord wanted or something and they took him for a day the whole crew and held them prisoner and then went whoops our mistake and let them loose again it was like so wasn't that awful and he's like it wasn't so bad i was hungry but you know (laughs) like he tries to downplay like every single thing one one piece of hustle (laughs) that i really another behind the scenes story of this movie is so you know the monkeys at the end of the movie Mm -hmm, the fairly mm -hmm. iconic ending where where the the raft is he he's ruling a raft full of di- dead and dying people and a bunch of monkeys yeah a bunch of little monkeys <laughs> right you know that is his <laughs> empire yeah and uh in and so Herzog hired some people to go catch some monkeys out in the out in the jungle of course and so he he gave them ha- he gave them half the money they agreed on like to go catch them and he give the rest of the money upon delivery and guess what they did they took the money and sold it to some other like animal traffickers heading somewhere else Mm. so somehow herzog found this out and intercepted 
the guys who were going to pick up the monkeys and said and claimed that he was a veterinarian mm-hmm. and all of these monkeys cannot leave this country without being vaccinated. <laughs> and so <laughs> and so he confiscated them in the name of some he 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 hustled his way into being some sort of official veterinarian and confiscated the monkeys. Wow. And then took them back to set where they were they've got their scenes and then they let him all the monkeys go. <laughs> so Yeah, lots of them were jumping in the water and swimming away mm-hmm. in the scene. Yeah, it was which is again like it's amazing the footage that he gets of just things happening kind of outside of his control. Yeah. And it's just the butterfly awesome. that landed in on the guy's shoulder. Yeah. Just like beautiful stuff like yeah. that. All serious voodoo space yeah like just some kind of weird magical yeah just have the cameras rolling yeah yeah and this movie like coppola said himself that like a lot of the language of how that movie looks with its long river scene which movie apocalypse now ah okay coppola like he's like oh yeah i'm absolutely was influenced by agira the wrath of god wow you know so this movie is very influential visually with how to do an intense environment and do it you know yeah, I feel like just if you were just dropped on this movie with our modern sensibilities, you would be kind of like, this is kind of bad. This is a groundbreaking movie. The audio's so rough and the acting's so awkward. And the sometimes there's raindrops on the camera, so the shot's blurry. Yeah. But like to stop and think this was made in 1972 and this was kind of the first of its kind mm-hmm. really, really stopped me in my tracks and made me impressed by the whole thing. I mean, those that raft... They made that wooden lash together raft and they put a real horse on it. Yeah, yeah that's like, intense. And they pushed that real horse off of the raft. Off of too. the raft when but it they started. Saw, we saw it get on the creek. It got yeah, on, on the, the banks. Ba- and then, yeah, I had to reassure everyone in the room with me that they were like, a, a horse trailer came and got that horse and took it away in a boat at the end. Like yeah. the horsey got to go home. Yeah. It's okay. The horsey was clearly not straight up not having a good time. Yeah. And also, you could tell that, like, there's what looked like a for real Klaus Kinski moment with that horse where he goes like ah get out of my face and everyone goes and i'm like "Ooh, that's a for real moment that was just everyone just reacting and having a bad day everybody wants that horse gone (laughs) yeah everybody wants klaus gone yeah so um there's there are women in this film which i was surprised by and i always kind of forget that about this movie Mm -hmm. yeah the fancy ladies yeah fancy ladies yeah that they imported from europe and (laughs) which is the main signal of how insane this whole thing is where they have these upper class noble women who are given the full nobility treatment in the jungle where they're like being hauled around on these like what do you call them uh carriages yeah so kind of knowing what I knew about the movie a little bit before watching it, I was expecting some kind of horrible like rape scene or something. Yeah. And we don't get it. They're which never is a violent towards to the women. And I heard that Herzog is totally against violence against women in his films. I don't think he's ever done it. Um and I appreciate Aside that. Aside from the him. fact that one of them gets arrowed. Yeah, they get sure. arrowed, but they're not like assaulted. It's not this graphic. He said he doesn't like any violence against anyone defenseless ever. Interesting. Huh. Um, yeah. And... But um, honestly, I, I think that was like a. Once I knew that watching the movie, there was a certain relief I think I was getting from it. I was like, okay, these women are just going to regular die. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're just <laughs> going to have a normal bad time. I they're mean, not going to have an excruciatingly awful to watch bad time. Yeah, one of them just sauntered into the woods to be eaten by cannibals, we assume. <laughs> and that was or it. she goes native. 
or she, she goes native. native. It's just kind of, it was fascinating. Yeah. Like they really did not dwell on that. That's kind of what I was saying about like the momentum being different in this movie. Yeah, and uh, crazy things happen. Crazy things. I mean, she literally just walked off, and then eventually you just sort of stopped seeing her, and then they were back on the river, and she was gone. Yeah, and that was all we really knew of it. Is that um, one of the noble women just? Just well, they they hung away. her husband, so yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> so she was done. She's like, I'm done. Seriously, yeah. we're going down to our doom. Yeah, and uh, so no, she she uh, calmly quit. A lesser movie would have had some kind of final monologue from her yeah. or something, and she was just like, "Yeah, you know what? Uh, there's nothing I can say. You've killed my husband. Uh, you guys all suck." <laughs> <laughs> So everyone, <laughs> I'm I'm leaving. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, her final monologue was just that long shot of her face. So much silence in this movie. Uh, so much, so much of the story told just by facial expressions. It's a very brave thing to do. Also, the flute playing. The flute playing. The pan flute. There's something about the melody in that flute that the guy plays over and over that seemed weirdly familiar and out of place to me. Huh. Really? I couldn't place it, but it didn't feel like... It felt like a little bit vaguely poppy to me. Well... And I'm like, what is this tune? I don't know if this is a traditional Incan I don't know. I, it could have been. <laughs> I don't know. I just... I found that always... Anyway, it was very peppy. It was very upbeat. Very yeah, I liked it. I it mean, it was cool. There, there was some footage. I mean, the first shot of um, Agira and the the flute player was just amazing. One I mean, of the greatest in cinema history. Literally glowering, and there's this guy literally like <laughs> jauntily kind of playing, dancing and, along to himself in his colorful hat, and there is the literal opposite of him in this like metal hat. That he only takes off to go fight for some reason. Yeah, which and, um, don't make no sense. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And um, it was just, I, yeah, I just like loved that Yeah, like in the moment shot. you said, it was like you couldn't have two more opposite vibes. Yeah, like, <laughs> and, and there's there was another shot later in the movie. Where they're on the just, raft with the same thing. They're just literally hanging out. Like those two, I guess, like... Play something for the men. Yeah. Play something for, for Agira, you know, that's... Uh, <laughs> It's what he wants, and he doesn't seem to have any reaction to the music at all. You don't see him asking for it, but he is hanging out next to it. Yeah. Which is like, how does he choose to spend his time? He just like glowers and yeah. like kind of whispers orders to people. You know, he's yeah. a fascinating character. Even like the performance is amazing, but you don't, for large stretches, you don't really focus on him. It's kind of an ensemble movie where everybody else is getting equal time. Yeah, and I really thought the priest was an MVP. Yes, yeah. except yeah. he sucked too. He sucked, but his performance <laughs> was really, really impressive. Oh yeah, sure, yes, yes. He absolutely. he seemed so kind of crazed in his devotion. Like he would get talking about you know saving the savages, and his eyes would get kind of glassy and weird and. Yeah, and, and they were talking about giving him a gold cross with, like, jewels encrusted, and he was, like, smiling after they yeah, were saying that to him. Yeah. Which, I, you know, I'm not sure what to take from that, but I, it was just a really good moment. Because it looked like he wanted to argue, like, I'm not about that, but then he kind of turned his back and kind of, like, fought back and couldn't fight back a smile. Like, there was just a lot going on with that actor. I didn't recognize him. I don't know. 
who yeah. he was. And sometimes he seemed like the most lucid, most sane, like, hey, y'all, this is crazy person in the whole group. And other times he seemed the most fanatical. And it was really interesting how it, he went back and forth in that way. He definitely was like, it was seemed to be his job to be holding up the like, quote unquote, moral authority. Yeah, he of was the Europe. judge in the trial. Yeah, he's yeah. the judge in the trial. And he's like, well, I'm the one he, who's in touch with God here. So clearly what we're doing is good and right and moral. Yeah, it's God's will, yeah. It's God's will, and, and here I am. he wasn't really caught up in the cult of personality. He was, yeah. he was, he was about the real mission. Mm-hmm. And of course, again, though, he's also the embodiment of how the reality of this entire mission is completely insane. Yeah. You know? But in the first place. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and making this movie was completely insane. I and really here it is. The, we can watch it. <laughs> I really love the sort of the ending with the boat in the trees. Yeah. Because I also kind of, I think it's interesting how they're all like, all agree that they see it and all agree that it's probably a fever vision. Yeah, that it's a mirage. But yeah. I'm also like, but y'all all see it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> they're so delirious at that point. Like the guy gets mm-hmm. shot in the leg and he's like, that's not a real arrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also... Like, Herzog put a boat in a tree. Yeah, you know, yeah, that was the other thing about this movie. Like, <laughs> right. none of this is a special effect. Yeah, none of this none is of filmed on a soundstage. Like, everything you see is actually happening in the Amazon. That keg of gunpowder that he threw off the boat, he threw a keg of gunpowder off the boat, and it blew up in the river and probably killed all the fish right there. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It's a tributary of the Amazon. Okay, yeah. fine. I think it was the Napu River, maybe? I don't know. Sure. As yeah. Lauren said, who we were watching the movie with um, just a bit ago, she was like, movies in general are just highly destructive things. Yeah. And well, that this... was part of my original point. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's, I think the there's a lot in common. The doors were extremely con- destructive. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's hard to make a movie in L.A. Because pe- it's 100 years of making movies in L.A. And people are like, I know you guys are about to wreck my house. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't want craft services up in here, AKA a bunch of pigs and chickens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I mean, no, I think, I think there is a weird amount of commonality between conquistadors <laughs> ravaging the countryside and dudes making a movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's go explode some stuff in the Amazon. Like, yeah. What's up guys. And Fitzcarraldo is far worse. Um, and the, premise Great of that movie, movie is <laughs> is uh this baron wants to drag a boat over a mountain to make a shortcut through the river and like Werner Herzog literally dragged a boat over a mountain yeah. literally just like tore down trees and and like, tried to do it basically without electric power tools like it would be in the movie yeah Yeah. oh my god like tried to do it for real as it was portrayed in the movie yeah and And that was pretty reckless yeah it's so interesting herzog he because he talks about how he's not really concerned with having 100 percent accuracy even in his documentaries like he'll kind of add some color and not add like fiction fiction but like dramatized stuff that are straight from his imagination and his interpretation 
or like he'll theorize weirdly like I just watched Cave of Forgotten Dreams and at the end he's like there are these albino crocodiles that live in a nuclear power plant next to the caves for some reason and he's like perhaps these crocodiles will see the cave paintings what will they make of them and it's just like why are you (laughs) he will just embellish wherever he feels like and it seems like he it goes the other way with the fiction where he just adds reality wherever he feels like. Like, reality and documentary are merged in such an unusual way for him that is so impressive to me. And it can fall so flat in a, by, when I see it in other filmmakers. Um, well, Herzog's one of a kind. Is yes. partly what we're saying. <laughs> I he's love a one him. of a kind man. And he's kind of a fun actor when he pops up. Yeah. You know, his most famous, maybe what people know him for, whether they know it or not, is I want to see the baby. Yeah. The <laughs> Mandalorian. Yeah. And he's like, I play villains and I enjoy it, but I am not, you can ask my wife, I am not a cruel man. <laughs> I'm actually a very soft man. <laughs> let's, I did let's... want to see the baby. <laughs> We really should ask his wife because I need citation needed. You know? <laughs> yeah, citation needed. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, I mean, he seems like a weirdly very romantic person, like because yeah. apparently he walked, like he backpacked to to propose to his first wife, oh. like because he wanted to it to be a significant thing like a real man proposes in person and we were long distance and I didn't have a car so I walked to her house and it was like. Uh, it was a lot of miles. It was like, I will walk 500 miles IRL. Yeah. Like, I heard the song about the man walking, <laughs> and I realized that I had more than 500 miles to go. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I so would be just, better than the pop song. This is just how he lives his life in every way, in every aspect. Like, God, it just sounds so exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And Colin, did you hear the one where he was talking about the movie he made with Christian Bale? Um no. Rescue Dawn about a POW no. and Christian Bale's audition was like I asked him if he was prepared to bite a snake in half and Christian said that he was so he got the job <laughs> I did not make him bite a snake in half <laughs> there's a match made in heaven I right there use that. Like, like, would you bite a snake in half and, and people go Yes, and I'm like, good answer. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was looking for. Some can-do spirit. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I would bite a snake in half. No. no. If it was, and if they say no, then I'll be like... If it was dead already and call. cooked, maybe. Well, are you really biting it in half then? I mean... I mean, if they cooked I mean, it, it whole, whole that would be kind of gross. Yeah. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> we have conditions on our snake biting. <laughs> Oh my gosh, yeah, but just the more interviews I listen to with this guy and the more I hear his voice on documentaries, the more charmed I am by him. And often that goes in the opposite direction for me, where I'll find out more and more and more about one of these great personalities, like, say, Kubrick, for example, and what a tyrant he turned out he was, and how, like, you know, some people accused him of being abusive on set and whatnot. And, like, so I'm afraid when I start to research a filmmaker I respect that I'm going to find out something I don't like. But researching um, Herzog, I just like him more. I'm just... he. I mean, yes, he's intense. 
but he warns you like he's gonna ask you he might ask you to bite a snake in half like you gotta be ready he does ask though (laughs) but he yeah he does ask he doesn't just terrorize you on the day (laughs) he does not shoot you he merely threatens to shoot you. yes he might yeah and like yeah i just feel like at this point especially maybe when he was in his 20s it was worse because people didn't really know what they were getting into. But at this point... he probably didn't know what he was doing. And he probably didn't even understand himself how far he was willing to go. But by now, you know, like, he he knows. And he has... You know what you're doing when you're getting on a Herzog shoot. And, yeah. I mean, and he didn't fire that crew member. He was like, there would have been a mutiny. I could not have done such a thing. Like, so he did care about his people enough. Like Also, who is he going to get? Yeah, who is he going to get to, you know, yeah... In, he's like the nearest town was 500 miles away or whatever <laughs> like 506 yeah <laughs> he knows exactly yeah what a guy and what a movie yeah so yeah um i'm trying to think maybe final thoughts uh you know this movie uh comes out he, he finishes it apparently like he thought he'd lost the whole movie because he had it you know, he, I guess he didn't. He, the flight with the film canisters was delayed, and he thought his whole movie was. Oh my gosh! Lost. Jesus. So that was must have been traumatic. But it turned out mostly just the audio was bad, and so yeah. they finished this movie. Apparently, it debuted on German West German television on the same day it came out in theaters in Germany, which he blamed on the movie not doing very well in Germany, which mm. is also like Scarlett Johansson's whole argument against Disney Plus. Hmm. You know. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Huh. And and but meanwhile it did great in America when it came out in on art house it had like a long art house cinema run mm. and of course Paris was like have you seen Ergouille <laughs> so it is a, such a fine film sacré bleu sacré bleu <laughs> and uh, and yeah. so yeah so it did really well and was and filmmakers were like you know your Scorseses and your Coppolas were like, like wow hold the phone <laughs> yeah so. Um, yeah, and thus, thus is Herzog, and this is this is a highly, yeah. I mean, this is definitely one of those movies. If you see it, you'll be like, I recognize all of this imagery is pretty familiar, you know, yeah. whether whether it's been quoted at some point. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that part with the children of men um, that the priest recited. Um, I was like, did Herzog write this, or am I just not knowing a Bible verse right now? That happens to me a lot Possibly. in movies. Is this a Bible yes. verse or is this a really beautiful prose written by the filmmaker? Lol, don't know. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a fan. Yeah, it was a great movie. Good choice, John. Thanks we, for we being liked, back on the pod, John. We liked this one. Yeah. <laughs> what's uh, What's next episode? We're going to, I think, do Blade Runner. We're going to watch Blade Runner. Runner. I mean, we have to. It's we a family movie. We're going to watch all the versions? I, I propose that we each pick a different version. Ooh, Are there three? Homework. Uh, there's four or five. Oh, dang. See, I've, I think I've seen every version. We've all seen the movie a bunch of times, yeah. so I don't think it would really damage us. Yeah. Um, yeah, watch as many versions yeah. as you want, but we should all at, at least, least watch, watch a different one. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Who wants to? Who has hate in their heart and wants to watch the one with like narration and I, stuff? I kind of want to watch that. You one. want? Okay, Helen can be the designated hate in her <laughs> heart. So before we get to that, what else are we consuming? Oh, what else are we consuming? Uh, somebody I'll, else start. I'll, I'll start by just the book that I finished a couple weeks ago now, which is uh, my first John Irving book, hmm. A Prayer for Owen Meany. 
famous. One of y'all will listen, watch or listen to it on tape because I want to talk about it. It's bonkers. Oh, it's, it's very, very famous. So it's one of those that's not an eat your vegetables book. It's like actually good. Yeah. Neat. I mean, uh, what I'll say about it is that it's, there's very few books I have ever read in my life where I have laughed out loud while reading it mm. as often as this book made me I mean all the hitchhiker guides books do that to me but yeah, I don't think anything I mean, else ever but this this it is very funny but it's I wouldn't necessarily it is not a comedy either mm. it's a strange wonderful book that is hard to describe and is you should you should dive into it interesting um and so yeah, that's that's my shout out. Cool. Well, I've been a real dork this week. Uh, I've been listening to a podcast, um, watching and analyzing every episode of Deep Space Nine, called The Greatest Generation, because uh, I love Deep Space Star Trek, Deep Space Nine. I'm a nerd, uh, but it's really kind of made me think harder. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> anyway yeah it's really taught me a lot about writing and filmmaking weirdly because these two guys are um filmmakers and so they will randomly have some really specific critique of a screenplay or be like this character's motivation i have headcanon about it but i really feel like i'm carrying water for the script you know having this headcanon i wish they could have represented this in some kind of way so that i understand why they're doing this thing in this scene and it's just like it's so nice a to hear someone so thoughtfully take the time to notice you know um kira's eyebrows and how good she is at micro expressions and also just to like break down television scripts in such a precise way but then also they're so funny in the they're they're also just riffing so yeah i've i've been nerding it but yeah i've been weirdly learning about writing watching this listening to this pod even though it's just a comedy podcast about star trek and it's good cool you know what? I haven't been consuming a whole lot, and I don't know if I should be embarrassed about this, but so Adnan Syed mm-hmm. was released from prison recently. Yarp. And, and let's, let's be honest about Adnan Syed and the podcast he was featured in. Podcast, there's kind of a pre-serial and post-serial world when it comes to podcasts. Yeah. I mean, there's kind of maybe a direct line from... Adnan Syed to us having microphones right <laughs> yes. now, which is like so bizarre. True because for everyone. Which is, is tough to wrap your head around if you think about it yeah. for more than three seconds. Yeah. yeah, it's insane. But I mean, here we are. And so I have been re-listening to the first season of Serial. Wow. Cause, and it is, you know what? It It's compelling. It's just a well-told story. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of like, there's lots of... Um, Uh, people who are innocent in jail there's lots of murders out there there's lots of this there's lots of that and i'm like yeah but these people really told the story correctly and like there's lots of criticism of stuff they missed and stuff they didn't include yeah serial and i'm just like you guys like they're telling like a broader story about uh society things that go wrong in our system and also how well you know the people you know like it asks so many big existential questions that podcast people who split hairs about the actual case i'm like you're maybe missing the broader point of serial Mm -hmm. um and you know i think there's a few things that look bad for adnan that they didn't include Mm. 
and things. I don't know. There's all kinds of things that they chose not to include. And I'm like, yeah, you'd make those kinds of choices when you're really trying to tell a story. And um, yeah, I don't know. Like there's on Twitter recently, there's been lots of criticism, lots of uh, praise and lots of criticism for serial. And it's I, back I mean, in the it's, it's Back in the conversation. It's back in the conversation, and you know what? It it's we're having it's we're having this conversation. It was a huge impact, and I'm listening to it. And there's all these really boring things that they go over that are very interesting. Yeah. You know, they make compelling, and and that's the real power of it is how they're able to make traveling in a car from place to place a thing that i'm listening very close to like how did they get to the best buy from the school and yeah. like, i am right there with them and interested and and um it, yeah it's a big deal and you know one thing about that documentary or that's that podcast that was really like groundbreaking for the time and is is the way that they were so open about their process mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah you know that's really the thing that's so striking about it, is how open they are about their process and their own doubts and their own sort of internal criticism and i remember it was so groundbreaking like this is in but in some ways the ultimate impact of that was not really like didn't follow that exactly so much as that podcasts and sort of documentary journalism came about like oh it's okay if we point the camera at us Mm-hmm. Yeah. and our personalities it's almost been the more longer term impact of serial more than the whole like which is too bad examining our process yeah maybe i'm going maybe i'm maybe i'm not right about that because i do think it's an interesting take though yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah but i mean i'm i'm glad adnan's out i don't think there was enough ev- evidence yeah yeah we all learned about reasonable doubt from serial yeah. we all learned about <laughs> brady violations yeah we all learned important <laughs> things from serial and uh you know what? The whole thing is like, yeah, he might have killed her. He might. You know? Yeah. Sure. But don't put him in jail for he the rest of He didn't have that great of an alibi, but he also like, you know, you can't just put somebody away for that. Anyway, so like... <laughs> you're you're back on the serial obsession. <laughs> I'm back on the serial obsession. Like, <laughs> and maybe I'm a bit soft on crime in general. So like... Uh, anyways, that's what's up with me. Colin, how's your movie going? Uh, I'm, I'm kind of pushing it to shoot it later, but I've talked actors. I've, I've, it's going forward. I'm also doing What if doing I the, auditioned for it? You could do that. <laughs> I could uh, play baseball. And, uh, I, uh, I'm doing the scramble in a couple weeks. Oh, like, snap. Good luck. Gulp. Yeah. But it'll be fun. And yeah, that's what's up. Neat. How's your music going, John? Uh, it's going. You put on a puppet show. I put on a puppet show. Uh, it's like experimental puppet theater. <laughs> nice. It was great. Um, I have albums in the work. I have a solo show in October. You know, it's just always going. It's going. That's awesome, though. Like, yeah, it could not are, be going. Yeah, it's it's better than it not going. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, the puppet theater is probably the biggest thing to happen since tour. So that's cool. We built puppets. They're very janky and like hard to operate, but we successfully built a duck and a clam. They're very charming puppets. Very charming don't, puppets. Don't sell them social. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> mostly like Miss Pearl, the clam, started to fall apart mid show. Like, oh. the eyes were flapping up and down with the mouth. Like, <laughs> she was falling apart fully. And, like,. We were crouching behind a box, so we were, like, having to crane our arms up, and, like, it's just hard to lift your arms above your head for, like, 
your 20 straight minutes and yeah. anyways yeah so that was cool yeah but anyways that's all that's up yeah anybody else got listen fun? to cinevirm the other podcast that i am on yeah helen's doing more podcasting <laughs> yes that's what's up with her that's me yep yeah cool thanks for listening y'all roll the music <laughs> <laughs> Deep Space Nine.